Hey y'all, welcome to Seducated, the podcast fusing business, culture, faith, and media, giving you real perspective and inspiration to help feed your entrepreneurial soul. Our podcast is dedicated to helping you succeed in your business through empowerment and growth. Come on. And I'm your Seducated host, Sheila Ellis Glasper and the owner of SEG Media Collective. Let's get started. Alright. Well, hey y'all, welcome to another episode of Seducated. I am so excited to have a very special guest with us today. We have Miss Fanny Fang, and she is the co-owner of the Manhattan Asian Market. And she is just doing some dope stuff here in our community. And um, she graduated from NYU. So she spent some time in the Big Apple. And for those of you listening to the podcast that may not know, but Manhattan, Kansas, where we live, is actually referred to as the Little Apple. From the Little Apple to the Big Apple and back to the Little Apple is um, talking about that journey here today with Fanny. And so welcome to the show, Fanny. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm energized. And uh, I just want to thank you so much for having me on this podcast and uh, give me an opportunity to uh, share my story. Yes. And what a story it is. And so I remember when I first met Fanny uh, for the first time, one of our, um, um, another one of our podcast guests uh, earlier on in the podcast, uh, Dr. Jessica Elmore actually introduced us to each other. And I remember the first time I met with Fanny, I thought, this girl is like a Gary V, like a little mini Asian female version of Gary V. I was like, this is so interesting. So then of course I like go on her Facebook and she has like, I think your profile picture was actually a picture of you with Gary V. And I'm yep. like, okay, well, here we go. And so, uh, but the reason why I thought that is because not only is uh, Fanny very, um, forward thinking but she's also um she very much has a similar story and background as far as having uh, growing up um, with parents that immigrated to the united states and were business owners and then helping uh her parents grow that business you know with the new ways of doing things and gary v that is how he started and so that's really what made me think that's how I think when I think of Fanny, I think of a, a little mini Asian um, Gary V. So, <laughs> so that sets things up for today, right? <laughs> oh yeah, I'm I'm honored that that you that you would compare me to him. Uh, yeah, I think um, being in New York City and him just being, you know, this man, he he owns you know Vayner X, which is a parent company to so many different you know, subsidiaries, and yet yeah. he makes the time to interact with his, with his followers. So I right. actually got to like meet him in New York City multiple times because that's such a thing that he values is that one-on-one -on -one connection. And he like, he, he's got a team that's like, yo, come on, let's keep it moving. But he's yeah. like, no, I'm going to give this person the time to ask the question that they want to ask. And he gets like the whole like, you know, he, some people are like, especially with me and greet events, they're like, oh, no video, no photograph. This man lives for it. So he actually has someone like dedicated to record that interaction. So like, he just gets it. And it's very rare to find someone who has like 6 million followers and such a busy person to 
have that humility to still want to interact with people mm-hmm. like us, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what was um, any like piece of advice that you got from Gary V that you, you can remember that you might want to share? Uh, so I went to one of his charity events and at the time I was still in between figuring out, do I want to come back and run this family business? Right. It was less about the location. It was more about this family business dynamic, right? Like, it's like, okay, I just graduated from college. I have the choice to go anywhere in the country, anywhere in the world. Do I really want to come back and work for my parents? Right. And, you know, the passion for the store was there, but, you know, I also just, you know, I love my parents and I don't want business to ruin our relationship especially since like growing up, they spent so much time working at their buffet that I didn't get much time to spend with them. So a lot of the development in our relationship happened when I was in college. So I didn't want to jeopardize that for a business. Um, And so I asked Gary Vee something along the lines of, what do I do? <laughs> like, no, mm-hmm. like what, what do I do? Right. Like, that's it. Like, what do I do in this situation? Um, and you know, of course, like I prefaced it with like him and his family and, and things like that. And he just said, like, you have to ask yourself, which one is more important to you? And you have to ask yourself, are you willing to have, if you, and, and if you want both, are you willing to have those tough conversations? Cause you're going to have to have those conversations at some point, if that is what you want. And so he was saying, put in the work, right? That's ultimately what he was saying. You got to put in the work for what you want. And I was like, all right. And so there were a lot of tough conversations about mom, dad, I appreciate what you've done for the family. I, the community can see that you've worked so hard, uh, but your kids are ready to take over while, you know, of course, upholding your legacy but bring it to you know adding a whole nother flair to it to get it to the next level and that's hard for you know two chinese immigrants who have only worked their entire life to hear right and the way they show love to me and my siblings is through working right and so to say that is to say is almost to them i think they felt like i rejected their love and of course that's not where i was coming from but i also had to manage my expectations to put it in context of how my parents were raised their background so it was a very very hard conversation to have and what made it easier for me was gary i don't know if i was the reason why this happened but i'll give myself the credit <laughs> After he, after that interaction I had with him, I noticed that he started talking more about his relationship with his dad and some of the hardships with his dad, Mm, you know, and and that kept me going. I was like, you know what, Gary and his parents, especially with his dad, they have an incredible relationship. Like people admire that relationship so much. And that's what I want. If they're able to do it, I can do it. And here I am today, you know, now I'm, now they are my employees and I'm the employer, you know, I get the boss around. <laughs> but it works, it works really yes. well. It works really well. Cause um, you know, we have a personal and professional understanding of expectations. Yes. Yes. That is, that is dope that you got to speak to someone 
um, you know, of his caliber about a very similar situation. And so right now we're in the middle of a worldwide pandemic with COVID-19 and so many businesses in our local area have shut down, um, have been shuttered um, and they have a anticipating a reopening date or they've had to make major pivots in their business. And at the Asian market, you guys have made a major pivot. I believe within 24 hours, you guys were able to go from brick and mortar to an online store, which is an incredible feat in itself. And then on top of that, um, that was kind of spurred by one of your employees who actually tested positive for COVID-19 after the Asian market did pretty much everything that you could do to stop that. Um, you know, you had masks, you required masks for people that came in the store, your employees, you had a minimum, you had security out front uh, monitoring how many people were allowed in and out of the store at any, you know, for the whole opening hours of your store. I mean, um, here in our local area, you definitely were an example of a store, of a business that was really upholding and doing more than what was required of you to do. And yet and still an employee then contracted, um, you know, or tested positive for COVID-19. So when that happened, that's where the pivot, you know, happened so fast to then switch to delivery and curbside. And with that, you had to have it online presence. Mm -hmm. And so um, can you just kind of tell us um, how, what, what was going through your mind during this time? And uh, just thinking back over these past few weeks, because I mean, we're still, we're here in the middle of May. And so um, everything is still kind of happening at this point and uh, businesses are still pivoting, but kind of just tell us like how your business was able to pivot during that time um, and how you've actually become a community leader really by, or I feel like you were already a community leader, but now you're getting more recognition uh, for what it is that you're doing with your business. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Woo. Uh. <laughs> a lot happened, you know, and to be quite honest, I'm still processing all of it. So I might be a little bit scared here, but our response to COVID-19 uh, here at the Asian market was actually pulled from my dad's own upbringing and journey to America. So you already gave some background, a uh, family background. Um, I filled in some of the details. Mm -hmm. So I'm the daughter of two Chinese immigrants from Fuzhou, Fujian, which is the southeastern part of China. And growing up here in America, my dad would tell us stories about his struggles growing up in a rural farming village. And when I say rural, I mean no roads, no electricity, no plumbing, nothing. Literally the Chinese government didn't even know they existed. So, wow. you know, with, with no infrastructural support, my dad and his family had to do to survive, you know, had to do whatever they could to survive. And a lot of their survival tactics, right, were, were rooted in leaning into the relationships they had with their fellow villagers. And most importantly, working harder than what working hard is, you know? Right. 
And that dedication to his community and that work ethic is what led him to becoming a successful property and business owner here in Manhattan, Kansas for over 25 years. And those same set of values is what I have been carrying with me, you know, as we navigate through this, this COVID pandemic. You know, when I think back, when the first case was confirmed here in Kansas, people flock to our store to buy rice. Um, yeah, I was one. Yeah. <laughs> My mom, who is Filipino, uh, she definitely made her phone call. I can't find rice anywhere in Topeka. Please go to the Asian market and see if you can get some for me. <laughs> And we were really fortunate. It was just like good timing because what we do is, um, you know, for grocery stores to be able to have a decent profit margin, you have to buy in bulk, right? Mm -hmm. And so with rice, it being something that has a long shelf life um, and us having the storage for it, we had just gotten in like two, three months worth of rice, mm -hmm. just like a week before all this happened. And what would take, you know, two, three months to sell, it literally sold in two weeks. And it only took two weeks because we immediately put in a limitation on the amount of rice you could buy, you know, because people yep. were just panicking and it, and yep. rightfully so, right? Like, we're like, oh shoot, it's here now. We got to get all, you know, everything. Uh, we, yeah, we I to, came, we I came home, home with yeah. one bag of rice and my mom was like, really? Like, <laughs> I thought you were getting me a supply of rice. <laughs> no, right. And, and, you know, being Chinese and rice being such a crucial yes. staple in our cuisine, yes. it was incredibly hard for us to put that limit in. You know, yeah. we knew that people needed that, but we also knew that a lot of people needed it. Yes. So in our, our, you know, for us, it's like, okay, we're going to have to limit it. But let's work harder, right, in finding vendors who have some supply of rice. So, like, I'm in this office calling 30-plus vendors, calling vendors I had never even spoken to, but just pretending that I did, just to kind of get that in so I can bring mm -hmm. rice. And that's what we did. And we have never, since this, has a, since this all happened, we, I am proud to say we have had rice this entire time. Uh, even though the first two weeks uh, definitely uh, was was crazy. Um, and, you know, setting these limits, right? Setting these limits and implementing the safety measures that you had just mentioned, you know, it, it was an expense that we weren't prepared for, but it is an expense that is necessary to conduct business in a safe manner in this new world that we live in. Yes. Um, you know, it is our duty as a business to provide a safe space, both physically and emotionally and mentally for the community to purchase uh, the products that they love. Um, you know, and man, when, when I got that call, when I got that call that uh, one of my employees was diagnosed with COVID, well, the first thing we did was we immediately closed down. I mean, we had just opened 10 a.m. It was 11.15 when I got the call, and I told my employees, told my security guard, we're done. We're shutting it all down. Didn't We didn't make an announcement on social media. We like the, the only thing we did was we put a sign saying that we were closed and that, you know, stay updated on our social media for, for updates. Um, and it was... It was an incredibly scary moment because 
there is no, there is not enough schooling. I don't, you know, there's not enough schooling you can get to prepare for something like this. Right. Right. And there's no blueprint either for this. Right. And so, you know, I, I called the Riley County Health Department and, you know, I of course asked them if they were going to name the Asian market in their daily COVID updates. For a while, they were saying this person went to this place and yeah. da da. da. Mm-hmm. And I was concerned because I was like, I'm a small local business. You know, you saying that this person got it from Asian market first, like, it, you know, it's first, it's like, okay, it could, the Asian market, you know, we're small business too. We don't have that many employees. We have a good team, but right. it's like, if you release, you know, the age and the gender and then say at the Asian employee at the Asian market, people can like figure out who it is. So that right. was also a very, you know, a, a privacy concern for my employee. Um, and so, you know, as I, I expressed my concerns to the Riley County Health Department, and they said that, look, community spread is already happening. So releasing the information of, uh, you know, where this employee works in their, in their, in their mind wouldn't make much of a difference. It would actually just cause more anxiety and panic in the community. So right. they said, it's up to you on what you want to do. And so I spent like, four or six hours going back and forth, back and forth on what I wanted mm-hmm. to say. You know, I even had an emergency therapy session because I was just so overwhelmed with all this. It's like, like I said, like, I have never been through this. And it's not like I could call anyone up and say, hey, what did you did during, like, this is, right. you know, like, what do you do? And so new, new waters and territory because yeah, no one no one has dealt with this before. It's all right. We're all in it. You know, we hear that a lot. We're all in this together, but it is so true. It's really leveled things out because you as the Asian market, you're dealing with the same thing Walmart is dealing with. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Right. hundred percent. And, you know, um, and, and that's the thing is like, I did look at Walmart and these other major grocery stores. And I looked at the responses people had in some of their practices and people were, you know, upset because they're like, wait a second, you're a business. Well, first, you know, Walmart, Dylan, you know, Kroger's, Target, they're like, you know, right? right? And so for them to not have done what we did initially, you know, there was, there was a lot of backlash, right? And so seeing that, it, you know, of course that pushed us to like, look, this is what the community needs. We're going to do it right now. Even if these, you know, these major players are refusing to do it for whatever reason. Um, so in this moment of figuring out if we want to announce that we have a positive COVID case, you know, I talked to my therapist, my nerves calm, calmed down. And I ultimately just had to sit down and just write whatever moved my heart, you know, and, you know, um, and I voluntarily chose to tell the public that we had a positive COVID case. Um, And the response was, um, was pretty positive, you know, kind words, many get well wishes. And of course, some took it to a whole nother level and began to spread misinformation about how our product's going to be infected with COVID forever and that they should never shop with us again. And reading that was painful, right? Because the other thing is, is that I'm Chinese, right? And so 
you know, we all know the, the racism that's going on between, you know, the Chinese and the spread of, of COVID. In that moment, I had to snap myself out of it. Like, I didn't have time to really feel this pain just yet. Like, I could feel it, but I was like, look, I need to focus in on what I need to do for my community, for my employees. They need to, they need to get paid, and the community needs to get fed. So what do I do? And so I focus on my team and I. We uploaded over 2,000 products online, completely changed to curbside pickup and delivery. None of us had any experience in e-commerce and building out operations and logistics for delivery and curbside pickup, but we did it and we did it for three weeks. The Riley County Health Department did not ask us to shut down. We voluntarily did it. And, you know, self-quarantine, the, the amount of days they recommend is 14, but we were like, you know what, we're going to close, you know, because we're going to close, let's take those extra steps, you know, uh, to rebuild that consumer confidence. Because even though it wasn't our fault, that this happened to us. The truth is, is that now the community has anxiety about shopping with us and rightfully so. And so what can we do to rebuild that? And, you know, it, um, it worked out really well. You know, the community has been incredible. Um, opening the store back up a couple weeks ago, back to the public was just so emotional. Like I had no idea if anybody was gonna actually come. I had no idea if people would get mad for us you know, uh, for reopening, but like even just, even 20 mi minutes before we opened at 11, there was already a line outside waiting. Yeah. And I was like, and I was like, you know what, this is why I, I, this is why I, I'm doing what I'm doing. This is why I'm telling the truth, right? This yes. is why the I am. Transparency. Right. The transparency exactly. that you showed. I mean, and you know, as a social media marketing agency, we preach that to our clients all the time. And it's a lot of times something that we have to really um, teach our clients because a lot of times businesses, you know, they don't necessarily want to have a front person or that owner doesn't want to be the front face of the business, but the value of doing so, you know, putting a face to a name versus just the logo and being able to connect with people on that level and the transparency and then just being authentic. I mean, you hit all of those, you know, heads really well in what you were doing and it served you well because it built that trust back up versus you just making some text announcement um, or letting the health department make it for you. And, but you came on and showed your face in all of this and talked to the community. And that is, you know, what really, I think, separated you as a business owner and leader in our community to be able to do so. Um, because it is hard, you know, the, to have the courage and the bravery to do that. I mean, that is just amazing that you were able to do that. And so um, one of the things that kind of happened during all of this um, frenzy that was going on in our community is um, one of our city councilmen actually made uh, some very racist comments during a city council meeting, which was not recorded. Um, and so we'll kind of get into that. But 
basically, the city councilman made this comment saying that Manhattan, Kansas did not have a threat of COVID-19 like other places because we don't have very many Asian people here. And so that comment was then tweeted by our mayor, uh, who happens to be a woman of Indian descent. And that then went viral, and that then got Manhattan, Kansas, the little apple in national news. So you've got Fanny, uh, owner of the Asian market, walks up to City Hall and demands a meeting. <laughs> and uh, this city councilman couldn't even meet in person. He was over the phone and then continued to basically defend his racist comment. And uh, Fanny was able to kind of, you know, leverage community support. And it turned into this really big community effort that was just beautiful to see people coming together, people of all races coming together, um, especially during this time to make a comment like that during this time was just absolutely ridiculous. So just tell us a little bit about how that played out and how you were, what was going through your mind when you decided to stand up to him about that. In a way I was, you know, I, racism is a is is a is an issue in america right for any for any minority it's a it's a major issue and it you know in the last four years it's been actually let me take that back for the last probably eight years right it's been it's been a, a topic right with the black lives matter right that really got us to pay attention to how there is so much racial injustice in this country Mm -hmm. Um, and so when I found out that COVID-19 existed in China, I was already mentally preparing for the racism and xenophobia that was going to rise from it, right? Like I knew about COVID in November yeah. and I was like, okay, there's going to be a huge storm that's going to head to the United States and one it's going to be COVID, but then it's also going to be the racism attached to it. Um, and of course, when it did hit here, immediately my feed just got filled with attacks against race, against, uh, against, uh, Asians. Um, and I mean, every day it was just over and over again, this person gets attacked on the subway. This person gets attacked. Um, on 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 social media just left and right asians were getting attacked physically emotionally verbally in all the ways you can think of and to be honest i just got desensitized to it you know there's only so much a human can take before there's just like too much pain yeah. and helplessness associated with it that you kind of just like let it go over because you just like need to survive in that moment right and then Rodriguez said what he said, and I just like snapped out of it. I don't know how to explain it, but I was just like, holy wow. Okay, I, this is a person who has the power to make decisions regarding our public health here in Riley County. And so I had to ask myself, if any of my family members or I were to get COVID and needed to seek 
medical treatment here? Would we get fair treatment? Or would we be left to die because of this racist misinformation? And so I felt the need to do something, but to be quite honest, I didn't know what to do. I mean, I, I said what I need to say on social media, the Asian market made a statement, um, you know, thanking Lucia Reddy for a transparency, nothing too, too charged against Rodriguez. Um, and that was it. And I was like, what's next? And next thing I know, um, the vice chair of the Manhattan, Manhattan Alliance for Peace and Justice, Brandon Irwin, reached out to me and asked me if I would be willing to make a public comment at the next county commission meeting. And so, you know, at first I hesitated because I was like, I have to confront this racist. And that's hard, you know. Uh, I don't think I ever had really done it. I did it through like indirect ways, but directly, well, I was hoping directly facing the person, right? But he had a sore throat, so he called in that day. Uh, I was hoping <laughs> to face him, you know, face to face to, to share with him the hurt and the pain and the trauma that he caused. Um, but I was like, I hesitate to share that story because I didn't know if it mattered. Like, that's how sad it was. Like, I didn't know if, if this mattered to, to the community. But then after talking with uh, MAPJ, the acronym for Manhattan Alliance for Peace and Justice, some more. So I, I spoke with Brandon Irwin, John and Lou Johnstone, and Jess Kerr. You know, they reminded me that I truly do have a community here that accepts me, accepts me for who I am and what I represent. Um, and so I was like, all right, public comment, here we go. And, um, I made the comments and as you said, Sheila, he, he, he had a apology drafted out, had everyone, he had, um, I don't, I, he had someone, um, distribute it to everyone who was in attendance. And I just, I didn't, I did not even read the apology. Because I'm just like, why can't you just say what's in your heart? If you're truly, if you're truly sorrowful for what you did, if you are truly apologetic, why don't you just speak from the heart? And when he did speak from the heart, he just negated the entire apology. He said to me that it was, sorry that I hurt you. But I still believe that the COVID virus was an export from the Chinese government. Mm. And then he and then he joined his fellow county commissioners and saying, "I I but I love Chinese people because I love their food." Mm. I was like, "This is you can't make this up. You just like what what am I experiencing here?" And so, you know. Um, <laughs> I, I could have gone back and forth with them all day. And I think Commissioner John Ford for actually, you know, being like, you know what, we gotta move, we gotta move to the next agenda item because then, you know, that gave me an opportunity to actually leave the meeting and sit down with my thoughts for a bit. And I decided to just record my reaction. I, you know, I, sh I shared with, uh, you know, with, with my Facebook, it was a Facebook video. Um, you know, I just shared what that experience was like. And, you know, it was just so emotional to have 
who you think are there to protect you tell you that they have these these racist thoughts against you and your and anybody who looks like you and i think that video is what really set everyone off right um yeah. you know that video was shared so many times and over 2000 people saw it um and next thing I know, like I'm getting friend requests, I'm getting people coming into the Asian market, calling me a hero. And I was just like, look, I was just speaking from the heart. And, and honestly, I've been wanting to speak in this manner for so long, because like as a 10 year old girl, you know, I, I was bullied so often for being Asian. You know, I had someone call uh, my parents restaurant at the time and I picked up the phone. I was like, Bam Buffet, how may I help you? And they asked, do you, uh, do you cook cats and dogs? And I'm like 10 years old. And so, you know, now, you know, now the difference though, is that I'm 24, I'm older, wiser, you know, and now it's like, I'm my, I am here to make that 10 year old proud. You can stand so, up for yourself. Exactly. Now I'm in that position to stand up for myself. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's an amazing story. And I'm just so honored to have you on the podcast sharing that story. Um, and I encourage everyone listening to share, please share this story as well, because it is so, it's not just um, Manhattan, Kansas. This story has a national appeal, international appeal, um, just because of, I mean, Fanny is a uh daughter of immigrants who came to America for a better life. And regardless of where the actual business is located, um, our digital media has made it to where we can reach people any and everywhere. And your story is definitely inspiring. It can be inspiring to people everywhere. So thank you, you know, for sharing that. Um, and I really wanted to talk about your community activism now that that has been you know, it's something that you've always been passionate about, uh, even in your um, master's uh, studies work that you're doing um, at Kansas State University is focused, you know, on social justice uh, with athletics and with athletes. And, um, you know, it's just amazing the body of work that you're creating at this age. And, you know, um, how your business is tying into that, how your community is tying into that. So um, can you kind of explain to us how your community activism correlates with your entrepreneurship and kind of how you're practicing that? So the success that I've had in building businesses and advocating for our communities is rooted in transparency, which we've talked a lot about already, humility and hope. So, you know, to build that transparency, right, you have to, you know, to build a truly authentic connection. And I'm sure you hear the word authentic, uh, authenticity quite often. Yes. Um, but, you know, to build that connection with your community, whether it's in a business or, you know, through activism, you have to be vulnerable enough to tell the truth and accept that not everyone will, will react, to the, uh, react in the way that you want them to. And I think that second piece is is even harder because you feel like, look, I'm giving a huge piece of my life to you, handle it with care. But the thing is, not everyone's going to do that. And don't. And so for me, I had to, you know, when in being transparent, I have to remind myself that I hold the power. I can't. I control the narrative, 
right? The only time yeah. I would give the narr narrative away is if I don't start speaking my truth. And so, you know, um, as we talked about, you know, letting the public know about this positive COVID case at the Asian market could have been so detrimental to the business. And in, in the beginning, like right when I made that announcement, people said some really, really hurtful things, right? And people were saying, look, I need to cancel orders. I need to do this. And I'm just like seeing the numbers drop, you know? And, and so I had, and so I, I had to center myself. I really had to work hard to find a way to center myself in that moment. And in everything I do, well, the one question I try to ask myself every single day is, if I do this, will I be able to sleep well at night? Mm -hmm. Can I go to sleep knowing that hundreds of people walked in and out of my store that week and may have been around the person who carried COVID into the store? Can I go to sleep withholding that information from the community where it could be a matter of life or death? Right. Like as we've heard through, you know, through media and through, you know, maybe personal stories, um, there there are cases where COVID is asymptomatic for weeks yeah. and then, bam, they're in the hospital. They're on a ventilator fighting for their life. And so I had to ask myself, can I go to sleep knowing that that could that that could happen to one of my own customers? Obviously, the answer was no. Right. And so I did what some felt was business suicide. I, I told the truth. I said, we have a positive COVID case shut down for three weeks, even though it was not required of us. And I did it because it was the right thing to do for myself and for the community. It was about transparency and it was, you know, it's about telling the truth. Um, the, and so, you know, the other value that I've been implementing in, in, my business and in my activism is having the humility to approach every situation, every conversation with as little to no judgment. I'm not going to sit here and say like, I have that ability to, to, you know, take away all my biases. I'm human. Right. But I'm constantly practicing, um, in being in having truly an open mind in the situations that I'm going into. It's important to have the facts, but it's also so important to be able to go into a conversation and ask questions so you can understand the context, the reasons as to why someone may hold certain views, right? I mean, right. you know, and so, you know, we as a society, we need to stop pretending that we, that we have all the answers, that we are perfect, yeah. and, that, and that promising change without actually having done the research to see how feasible it is. You know, we need to have the humility to tell, to, to say to people, I don't have the answer right now, uh, but I will get back to you. And, and actually getting back to them. I think that follow-up part is follow really, yes. yeah, exactly. It's really difficult, especially when we got everything, you know, all this going on. It was already hard pre-COVID. It's even harder now. Uh, but it's our duty to keep people updated on, on our progress. And that's what we did with the Asian market. Like, look, this COVID case happened. I have no idea what this really means, but here are, here's the information I have. And that if you have any questions or concerns, reach out to me. 
we will, we will, if we don't have the answer, we'll let you know and we will find the answer for you. Right. Um, and, uh, and this actually brings me to um, a certain uh, incident that happened more recently. Um, and this relates to my, my position as a task force member on the uh, Manhattan Recovery, um, uh, Manhattan Area Recovery Task Force. So uh, about a week ago, or I guess now it's only a few days, a video surfaced of a local business having more than 30 people in, uh, in a patio, in their patio, um, less than six feet apart, not following any CDC guidelines, at least yeah, in the video, I, I should say, okay, at least in the video, right? Yeah. It, it was a- It was like a party. <laughs> yeah, it was a 10, 15 <laughs> second clip, but I think we saw what we needed to see. Um, and you know, as a task force member, I was so embarrassed and I just felt like I failed the community, you know, on the task force, it is our job to advise and provide recommendations to the health department on how to reopen our businesses safely. And collectively, we clearly did not do our job. And so we needed to go back to the drawing board. But before doing that, I felt that it was crucial to reach out to the community and say, and ask for their feedback, ask for their questions and their concerns. And so I made a Facebook post about it, gathered all that information and sent the task force um, a, an email with this list of questions and you know, requesting that they respond to it with whatever it is and, you know, um, and uh, you know, once I received that response, and here's the follow through, right? I sent that response to every single person that provided feedback and questions to me. And naturally, of course, they had more questions and concerns. Uh, yeah. But again, like I had to exude that humility and say, like, look, I don't have the answer, but I will be your voice at this table. Um, and uh, you know, last but not least. This is the hard part here, even though all this was really hard, but this is by far the hardest part for me so far is focusing on the hope, right? Like in the era of COVID, seeing how our economy is struggling, you know, seeing that death toll rise every single day, it's just hard to even get out of bed, out of bed at this point. And it's just like, it's just hard to continue to innovate your business and to fight for the people you believe in when it feels like the world is crashing down. Here's the thing though. Um, if you know, and, and this is, this is something that has, uh, this perspective has, has done me very well, uh, not only through COVID, but through a lot of other trials and tribulations I've had in my life. It's like, look, if we are still breathing, if we are still alive, it means we're still in the game. Yeah. Right, we owe it to ourselves to give our best every single day and to not live a life of regret. And so, you know, so much happened in these last few weeks. And for me personally, everything changed when COVID hit Kansas. Right, like I gave up my other job as, as a brand director uh, for a former NFL coach to solely focus on the Asian market and the Manhattan community to just focus on leading us through this pandemic. When I peacefully confronted Marvin Rodriguez in the Riot County Commission on his racist comments, I had no idea that that, that would lead to me becoming passionately involved in building a more just and equitable community here in Manhattan, Kansas. Like, just like how we couldn't uh, predict COVID 
in the you know COVID COVID nineteen and its effect on us, I could not have predicted my reaction to it. Um, and you know what has kept me going through all of this is the people of Manhattan, Kansas, is the people of of Riley County. You know they have kept that fire going. They have kept my hope alive, and I owe them so so much uh, for 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 all that they've done throughout my entire life. And I and I I I owe it to them to give them everything I got and to address the issues uh, that they are going through. Um, and so, I got a big announcement. Uh, today, I would like to officially announce my candidacy for Riley County Commissioner District 2. Uh, the future is here in Riley County. You know, we have the diversity, we have the talent, and most importantly, we have the work ethic to not only survive but thrive in this new COVID-19 world we live in. But, <laughs> but for us to do that, you know, our county commission needs to equip our communities with the necessary infrastructure to do so. So I invite all of you to join, uh, to, to join us in this mission to build the future here in Riley County together by visiting us at our website, fangforriley.com. Um, you know, um, this uh, this has been a crazy journey. I had absolutely no political aspirations, but this is what the community needs, and I'm I'm going to answer that call. Well, you guys heard it here <laughs> first on Seducated, and you know I get emotional hearing Fanny because um, it is definitely. I mean, being in Manhattan as a student at K-State for several years, moving away and then coming back as an employee at K-State, and then being a part of the community here um, as a you know, black female uh, entrepreneur. It's not an easy road here where there's not a lot of people that look like you who are um, have a seat at the table, who are employing people, who are running businesses and, um, you know, at there are times where you get discouraged and you feel like you lose hope because it's like, will this ever get better? Will anyone ever listen? You know, will um, will I continue to be, you know, a token, you know, person, or will we really see real change here? And I think that Fanny really represents that change that we need here. Um, on so many different levels and her level of, you know, just her being authentic um, and, and being real um, and um, everything that you embody as a person, I think is just uh, fantastic. And I wish you all the best. And of course, anything that we can do to help you, you know, that I'm here and we're here. Um, and so I just want to thank you for sharing your story and choosing us to be able to help deliver that announcement for you. And uh, is there anything else that you want to say, Fanny? Look, I, I'm inspired to do what I'm doing because of people like you. Um, I, I, I can't do anything that I'm doing alone, right? And I need a strong support system. And, 
you know, with your guidance and you being vulnerable enough to tell me your stories and your experiences and being that token committee member, right? Like when you shared that with me, it like, it hurt. It hurt because I know how much you care about Manhattan, Kansas. I know how much you love the people here. And the fact that you have to ask yourself, is this a place that, you know, will this place actually welcome me and my, and my kids, right? Will my kids be accepted here? I was like, this is not okay. This is not okay. And, you know, and I did ask myself the same, you know, those same questions I asked myself before deciding to come back to Manhattan, Kansas. You know, I was in New York City, one yeah. of the most diverse <laughs> places in the world, right? right? Like, do I want to come back to a place like this? And the answer was yes, because I knew, like I said earlier, like the diversity is here, the talent is here, the work ethic is here, but we don't have the proper leadership to actually lead us to where we need to be. And so I hope to be that person. I will be that person. And I'm only going to be able to do that with the support of all of you. Yes, yes. Well, thank you. Thank you again, Fanny, um, for your time today. And everyone definitely check out the website. Can you say it one more time? Fangforriley.com. There we go. And definitely check them out. Check out Asian Market too, because you guys have your website. What is the website? Asianmarketmhk.com. But I will say I'm working with my girl here, Sheila, on uh, some some big changes. So stay yes. tuned. Yes, we're definitely excited about that. And thank you all for listening. And until next time.